Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, look, not every great team that's won a Super Bowl or two had a bunch of Hall of Famers on it. Business decisions had to be made to get good and stay good. Some head coaches had a front row seat. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, I'm ready. Happy birthday to me. It is Tuesday, August 23rd. It is my birthday, but I'm here to provide great and uh, interesting content to keep your ears wanting more. <laughs> NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for you guys and gals. It's cool if you already know this stuff. Congratulations. Good for you, but there's always someone who does not. Please remember that. This show is for those who don't know as much about NFL history, so we are here to enlighten, teach, and learn. It is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Bellyupsports.com. Go on it. Click on it. Read the stories. Listen to the shows, especially the Behind the Mic Podcast. You love NFL, right? You love NFL history, right? Okay, well, we have something for everybody, but especially this show. I'm just, you know, I'm caping up for my show. But you can catch us on Spreaker. That's our main home base of podcasting, right? Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. We have a lot of different angles for you to come and get the content. Uh, There was a guy on Twitter that posted a picture of all of his Cleveland Browns championship banners. He's clearly a fan. Uh, No shade. Uh, And I believe that the caption read, and I I don't want to quote this, but it was basically saying, tell me who has more. I'll wait. Well, there was a total of eight banners, four from the AAFC, for those who don't know, the All-America Football Conference, and then four NFL championships. And this all happened between 1946 
and <laughs> and the end of the 1950s. We're talking about 1955, right? So here's the problem. Okay, the problem is, and I let them know as much. Those AAFC championship banners, they're not recognized by the National Football League. Neither are their yards or any of the other stuff that the um, the wins by Coach Paul Brown. None of that stuff is counted when it comes down to the Cleveland Browns of the All-American Football Conference and the NFL. It's just they weren't going to do that. They weren't a part of the NFL, and the NFL took them on along with the 49ers in that first incarnation of the Baltimore Colts. And so the Browns, they have four championships officially. That means there are actually nine franchises that have more championships than Cleveland. Even if the NFL included Cleveland's four AAFC championships, um, there's still two squads that have more. The Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. The Bears have nine. The Pack have 13. No shade because the Browns came in and proved that they were more than worthy of the NFL in 1950. Go back and listen to my series on the All-America Football Conference. Um, but still to be noted, you know, even with those eight championships, the New York Giants also have eight. Okay, And some of this includes the Super Bowls and some of that doesn't include the Super Bowls because that didn't start till 1966. So then you also have to remember that the NFL championships, they're pre and post championship games. The championship game didn't start until 1933. The NFL started in 1920, so it was a little more like uh, collegiate. You know, whoever had the best record at the end of the season and point system or whatnot, they won the NFL championship. And some of that's not including Super Bowl appearances. But as far as the Giants are concerned, born in 1925, the New York Giants claimed the first of those eight championships just three seasons in. And this was in 1927. And they actually have... Well, they had the most championship game appearances in NFL history with 14. I didn't realize that until I started this series that we've been on. Yeah, we've been talking about the beginning and ending of dynasties. And then it went to the good teams and even the ones that, you know, they were respectable. So we didn't want to limit it to just dynasties. It wasn't so much talking about the dynasties themselves. That's what we've been doing. But it's about how they came to an end. But kind of mixed it up. I'm not going to lie. We've kind of mixed it up. But looking at that, between the Giants and the Packers in the 20s and 30s, they had some really good runs. But from 1933 to 1963, the New York Giants, they had those 14 championship game appearances and they won it all three times. Good run, right? But it came to an end after they lost the 63 title game to the Chicago Bears, which subsequently, that's the team that they beat 47 to seven, I believe the score was in 1956, which is the last time they actually won an NFL title. Right, right after the Browns. So the rest of the 60s, though, and throughout the 70s, the Giants didn't even make the playoffs. Three times, they were 500, and they had two winning seasons. Not to mention the bad drafting. That did not help. Well, things changed on the day of love. <laughs> Valentine's Day, 1979. February 14th, the New York Giants co-owners, Wellington and Tim Mara, uncle and nephew, actually came to a compromise on bringing in the first GM in the history of the franchise, George Young. Now, Young had held multiple positions in professional football. We've talked about him before in past shows. Um, between the Colts and the Miami Dolphins, Young had been an offensive line coach, an offensive coordinator, a scout, director of player personnel. And after his success in, uh, well, 
in Miami under Don Shula as that director of player personnel and pro scouting. He started off being paid $100 a game, you know, by Shula to do some scouting for him, by the way. Well, Young was brought in to New York to turn around this struggling franchise, all right? They were in the toilet bowl. The same year, in 79, longtime Giants fan and a man who held multiple college coaching positions, the Giants gave Bill Parcells his first pro job coaching the linebackers under first-year head coach Ray Perkins. And on top of that, the 79 draft brought in quarterback Phil Sims out of Moorhead State in Kentucky. Now, you should have seen, if you've never seen the video, you should have seen Commissioner Pete Rosell's face as he announced Phil Sims' name and the Giants fans booed. Yeah, they gave him the Donovan McNabb. Uh, he was drafted seventh overall. And you know what's crazy? Is that San Francisco head coach Bill Walsh had scouted Sims and actually he wanted to draft him. I think it was around the third round. Of course, the Giants snatched him up first. This is before Joe, Joe Montana. So Joe Montana was selected in the fourth round. Uh, excuse me, late in the third uh, third round. The last pick of the third round to be exact. And at, just as a note, right after Sims was picked, there was a running back out of the University of Miami by the name of O.J. Anderson. St. Louis Cardinals snatched him up eighth overall. Keep that in mind. Put that in your pocket. Two of the few cornerstones, though, from those really bad 70s teams for the Giants were defensive end Joe, uh, George Martin. He was an 11th round pick out of Oregon in 1975. And middle linebacker Harry Carson, who was a fourth round pick out of South Carolina State in 1976. They rode that giant struggle bus through the second half of the 70s. In 1981, Parcells, who had a stint with the New England Patriots in 1980, was rehired by Perkins as his defensive coordinator, got a promotion. Now, the 1980 New York Giants, they were 4-12. They were bad. They earned themselves the second overall pick in the 81 draft. Was a blessing. They got that pick right. And that pick will provide Bill Parcells perhaps the greatest linebacker, not to mention possible, you know, some people would say the greatest defensive player or player in NFL history in Lawrence Taylor out of North Carolina. Taylor's impact was instant. The Giants finished 9-7, okay? So it was felt. And he not only won Rookie of the Year, but also the Depoy, Defensive Player of the Year in the NFL as a rookie. Tells you how great he was. And now the 82 strike season, it was a little bit different. And it proved to be Ray Perkins' last year. They finished 4-5, and five, and he announced that he was leaving New York to take over as head coach at Alabama for his former coach Bear Bryant, who was retiring retiring at uh end of the, at, at the end of that season excuse me but bill parcells he was named perkins's successor well his first season in new york they finished 312 and one not good oh not to mention phil sims he wasn't exactly having a really great start to his career at the beginning of 1983 parcells had named sims <sighs> he was going to be the backup look i'm going with scott bruner scott bruner who was a pick in what 1980 and you know he was the backup all that time but you have to ask yourself why 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 would he take sims and switch these two guys out well if you let bill parcells tell it it makes total sense well sims had been hurt for the last three years and of course parcells the two years that he had been back all he seen was this guy hurt just hurt all the time now walk with me uh <laughs> 1980, separated shoulder, done for the year. 1981, separated shoulder, 
done for the year. 1982 was over before it even got started. Torn knee ligaments in the preseason, missed the entire season. I mean, it wasn't the longest season, but he missed it. 1983, he wanted a trade after being hearing after hearing that he was going to be the backup to Scott Bruner, and he didn't want to play there no more. He couldn't play for him, supposedly. So when he finally did get to play, because he didn't get that trade, he goes in against the New York Jets because Bruner's stinking up the joint, puts him in, and he comes in on a pass and breaks his finger on his throwing hand. Compound fracture. Ouch. And that team was bad. Parcells was actually set to be fired. George Young and the Maras, they actually wanted Miami head coach Howard Schnellenberger. Stop me if you heard this before. Hot college coach goes into a struggling program, turns them around, they win a national championship in their first year. Hmm, hot NFL prospect as a coach? Of course. And then my coach in his first year, even though he's been here a couple of years as a linebacker's coach and special teams and a coordinator, but we're still bad. We're actually a game worse than we were with the guy that left. So <laughs> uh, what do you think is going to happen? But here's the thing, Schnellenberger told him it wasn't a good time for him to make a move. Now, there's a really good backstory to this. I'm not going to tell it right now because Schnellenberger, he would ultimately bolt for the USFL and Young was going to wait him out and go after him in 1984. You know, but it didn't work out that way. I can go into more detail, but that's going to be for another day. Parcells did retain his job. That's all you need to know. All right, for now. And this was actually mostly due to his seven-point plan, which he presented to, I'll just say, a newspaper reporter off the record. And then he presented it to George Young. So I'll leave it right there. Let's give him a shot. That's what Young is basically saying at this point. And he kept his job. So part of that plan included overhauling almost half that roster. There were too many guys used to losing, and that needed to change. The culture needed to change. In 1984, a storm was coming. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. All right, so um, during my vacation here in Nashville, there's a small town, um, and it's called Franklin. And one of the staples as far as going to eat is a place called Puckett's. It's Puckett's Grocery Store, and it also is a restaurant. They do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I probably had the best breakfast that I've had in a long time. And thinking about those eggs, I don't eat many omelets, but you cannot make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. You have to make some sacrifices, right? 
And that's also true in the NFL. When you have a team that's basically dumpster juice, they're bad. Right? There's some guys on that team, maybe even some people on the coaching staff, but there's some guys on this squad. It's clearly not working with you being in place. So we got to get you up out of here, right? So you have a losing culture. You're used to losing. You got players that probably don't even try. They got to go. If you want to win, the New York Giants offseason plan that Parcells had, including, what, about 25 players from the 83 roster that either they were cut, released, waived, or traded. They were gone. Boom. You're out of here. These players, they weren't with the program. And in a lot of them, they, they, well, they, I won't say a lot of them, there were a portion of them that had drug and alcohol problems, which makes that interesting. Hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, even when I looked at the roster, uh, the entire wide receiving core was completely different. All those guys were gone. And some of the newbies included two new starters like Lionel Manuel and Bobby Johnson. Phil uh, McConkie as well. I'm going to leave Bobby wrong. Scott Bruner, he was also out of there. Ended up, I think, with the St. Louis Cardinals. He never started again and was out of the league the next year. I read in another place, though, where Parcells actually had called some of the players mothers and discussing their substance abuse problems that they were having and even crying himself along with these players. Hey, I got to let you go. It had to be fixed. And probably being here in the league, you can't handle it. So they had to be fixed both personally and professionally. This is going to help our team and it's really going to help you. The 84 draft brought in four eventual new starters, three of which that would ultimately make a Pro Bowl. Linebacker Carl Banks and guard William Roberts, they were first rounders. Third rounder, quarterback Jeff Hostelner. And then I think in the fourth round was linebacker Gary Reasons. And then you had some other key players that were already on the squad, a free agent out of Miami, a teammate of OJ, Otis Anderson, nose tackle Jim Burt in 82. That brought running back Joe Morris out of Syracuse. In uh, 1983, out of LSU, defensive end, Leonard Marshall. And then you had defensive backs like Terry Kennard and Perry Williams. Back in 81, the Giants were 9-7. Of course, they made the playoffs. They beat the Philadelphia Eagles in the wild card before losing to the San Francisco 49ers, who won the Super Bowl that year, Super Bowl 16. In 1984, history repeated itself. Another 9-7 record. This time they beat the LA Rams in the wild card before losing again to eventual Super Bowl champs. San Francisco, again. 84 Sims started all 16 games, though. He was healthy. He started every game and had a career year to that point. He threw for over 4,000 yards, 22 touchdowns. Defensively, the Giants, I believe they were like eighth in the league. LT and cornerback Mark Haynes, they were all pros. Harry Carson, the consummate pro, he was a pro bowler himself. Now, the next year, 1985, there were more changes to make the squad better. There was another linebacker slash special team coach that joined the, uh, the organization back in 1979. Some guy by the name of Bill Belichick. Fast forward to 1985, Parcells elevated Belichick to his old job, which was the defensive coordinator. A move that looked to make a good Giants defense even better. Looking back on that divisional playoff loss is another note to San Francisco. Sims had been sacked six times and he was picked off twice. The offensive line needed to be fixed. During the regular season, Sims led the NFL in the category I believe no quarterback wants to lead him in. And I'm not talking about interceptions. And nobody really thinks about this. 434 yards lost due to sacks. He was sacked 55 times during the regular season. And New York already drafted guard Will Roberts. 
in 84. And when the USFL folded up, they got a new star at center in Bart Oates. The 85 draft, they got another great blocker who just happened to have some really good hands out of Notre Dame, tight end Mark Bravaro. And it was Bill Parcells' third year. And the G-Men did nothing but continue to improve. Now, they had a rough 3-3 three and three start, but they finished the regular season 7-3, overall. During that season, Bill Belichick was actually on the high seat at one point because the Giants were giving up too many yards and points. Parcells, he gave Belichick the play calling duties. Hey, you know, this is you and I trust you with this. Now, just like he was hard on his players, he was known for that. He was equally hard on his coaching staff. It was no different. Let's just say that Belichick fixed it. The Cowboys, Giants, and Washington, they were in a, they finished with a three-way tie for the division. Pretty tough division that year. Dallas uh, and New York, they won the tiebreaker, leaving Washington out of the playoffs for the first time since 81. The Giants were second in the NFC East. Sims made the Pro Bowl again, or excuse me, for the first time, for the first time in his career. He threw for over 3,800 yards, 22 more touchdowns. Joe Morris had took over the starting role in the backfield, and the result, 1,300 yards and a league-leading 21 touchdowns. LT, again, first-team All-Pro, 13 sacks. George Martin, the old man, had 10 sacks. Carson, again, was a Pro Bowl, and Leonard Marshall, he had a 15-and-a-half sack season and made the Pro Bowl. Think that obviously that led the team. San Francisco, though, when it came to the playoffs, they weren't that same 15 and 1 1984 Super Bowl champion team. They were 10 and 6, just like a lot of those other teams in there. A lot of com competition there. The two teams met in the wild card round Giants 49ers. It's time 17 and 3 win for the Giants. 49er head coach Bill Walsh, he was asked after their playoff win the year before how you know basically about new york and he said the giants and i'll quote the giants are definitely a team of the future end quote the future was not yet as the Giants' season they did end in chicago they lost 21 to nothing to the bears i mean it was the 85 bears what are you going to say they were on their way to that historic season of their own they were 15 and 1 and they put that beat down on the new england patriots in the super bowl 46 to 10 then it was a record. Mike Dicko, uh, Sweetness, Walter Payton, Buddy Ryan's vaunted 46 defense, Richard Dent, Mike Singletary, Dan Hampton, Otis Wilson, Steve McMichael. Now, the Giants fans, they should remember that game, and that was the day that their all-pro punter, Sean Landetta, he, and I've never seen this before, but he actually whiffed on a punt. I think it barely grazed his foot, but he whiffed it. Blame it on the windy city, man. Blame it on the on the uh not the rain. Blame it on the wind. He whipped on the punt, and that was one of the touchdowns that the Giants gave up. And that team, as well as Parcells, they felt that they still could have won that game, even though they scored zero points. But they played that team tough. Well, on the other side, it was a little bit mm, a difference of opinion. <laughs> a couple of months later at the Pro Bowl. Morris, along with Sims and Bavaro, Jim Burt, Carson, LT, Mark Haynes, Brad Benson, the tackle that made the Pro Bowl, the left tackle, they were all at the Pro Bowl. Morris had a conversation with Mike Singletary, one of several Bears on the Pro Bowl roster. Singletary basically told the running back that they had intimidated the Giants' offensive line. And he said, that basically, to us, y'all had given up. 
And Morris and his Giants teammates, they will never forget that. They put that in the memory banks. Motivation that would spill over into the 86 season. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Nineteen eighty-six. That would turn out to be a magical year for the New York Giants for obvious reasons, but it almost didn't play out that way, starting with their star linebacker. Lawrence Taylor had some pretty bad habits off the field, which included drug use, and that kind of played him throughout his career. Um, a couple of those players that Parcells had sent packing in 1984, they had a really bad influence on LT, and that resulted in him doing a couple of days in rehab, which really didn't help much. Then he tried playing golf and things like that. But he did have to cut back on some extracurricular activities. But switching over to running back Joe Morris, he had come off a career year in which included that league-leading 21 touchdowns, right? He wanted a new contract. Who wouldn't? He eventually got one. Four years, two million. I mean, it's 1986, people. Both Taylor and Morris would be first-team All-Pros that season. Morris, another career year, he ran for even more yards, 1,516 yards, 14 touchdowns. That's not bad. <laughs> That's not really bad. LT, obviously, he rebounded in a big way, even though he had some serious issues. The guy had 20 and a half sacks that season, then an NFL record. Defensive player of the year for a third time and ended up winning the NFL MVP. One of only two defensive players in the history of the league to do that. And he was the only one to win it unanimously, okay? Sims, again, he made it through an entire 16-game season. Mark Rivaro, the tight end, wasn't all-pro that year. He topped 1,000 yards receiving. Of course, Carson, Marshall, Jim Burt, they all made the Pro Bowl. Now, opening up the season, though, in New York, they suffered a 31-28 loss on Monday Night Football to the Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, another one of those USFL stars that came over to the NFL, somebody by the name of Herschel Walker. Yeah, he ran in for the uh, game-winning touchdown, and LT could have made the tackle, but that offseason, it, it, it got him good. And he said it himself, he was tired. <laughs> he was tired. He had, he had some more work to do. He wasn't ready yet. He wasn't in football shape yet. But the Giants would only lose one other game that season. They finished the season 14-2. and And as a matter of fact, even after that second loss, they wouldn't lose again the rest of the year. The Giants opened the playoffs at home against the 49ers. It didn't end well for the 49ers. And I remember that very, very vividly. As the Giants, no pun, maybe a pun intended, beat San Francisco 49-3. And that included Jim Burton knocking Joe Montana out of the game. I think he had missed some time because of some uh, surgery during the season from a previous injury. And... <laughs> Burt knocked the crap out of him. He was done after that hit. And that was on a, uh, I, I remember that, him throwing an interception. LT picks, picks off a ball that was intended for Jerry Rice and returned it all the way for a touchdown. And that was it. 
that, that, that was it. That was a beatdown of epic proportions. Next up, though, the Washington football team. The year before on Monday Night Football, that was the game that LT had broken Joe Theismann's leg. Theismann's replacement that night was Jay Schrader. He came in and pretty much ran Carson and the rest of that defense's tongues out because of his scrambling ability. Washington won that game 23-21. Now, in 1986, New York, they swept the regular season, and the NFC Championship would be no different. That was the toilet paper game. Fans had tossed all kind of trash and toilet paper on the field, um, celebrating their 17-zip win at home. Bill Parcells, earlier that uh, well, actually, it was the season finale against Green Bay. They were trying to get home field for the entire playoffs, okay? And at halftime, he had to light up his defense. Why? Because his team was leading 24 to nothing. And then a four, a three-win team, <laughs> before they lost that, I think three, four-win team had scored 17 straight points, and he was pissed. Just basically, all right? So he took a trash can and dumped it all, all, you know, all over the defense. I don't know if he dumped it actually on the players, but he dumped the trash can out. It's like, this is what you guys are playing, playing like. They scored 55 points in the second half, and it wasn't no problem. But they were on their way. The Giants fans were celebrating the same way. They were on their way to Pasadena, California. Super Bowl 21, it would end up being a Week 12 rematch between the Giants and the Broncos, the Denver Broncos. That during the regular season, it was a 19-16 victory for the Giants. John Elway, who was the best thing since sliced bread, the number one overall pick in the 83 draft. The Giants handling him just fine. No touchdown passes, and they picked him off twice. George Martin actually returned one, 78 yards for a touchdown of all people. The Giants were a run-first team. They always had been. And even though Phil Sims was a guy who would throw for a lot of yards, he threw a lot of interceptions too, but the thing was, he was uh, Parcells would always tell the guys, "Look, don't worry about throwing picks. Uh, you know, we need to take chances. Just put it out there. We need to take chances." Well, this was one of those years he threw more interceptions than touchdowns, 21 to 22. The Broncos' defense—you had to account for them too because they were no slouch. They were kind of middle of the road, but they actually were playing really well, um, and they knew that the focus of the game in general, would be around Joe Morris. I mean, who wouldn't? The guy ran for 1,500 yards that season. So I'm thinking we have to take this guy away. The first half of the Super Bowl, it would be tight. Denver was leading 10 to 9 at halftime. Second half was much different. New York outscored Denver 30 to 10, and they won the game going away 39 to 20. Sims torched the Broncos. They went the opposite direction. Carl Mecklenburg said in the interview, we was expecting them to run, and they were doing a lot more passing. They actually flipped it. They flipped it. And Sims, 88%, I think is still a Super Bowl record. 22 of 25, 268 yards, three touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Pretty good for a Super Bowl MVP. Elway wasn't bad. He threw for 307 yards, but he was the only offense for the Broncos. And he led them in rushing, too. He only had, They had 27 yards rushing from their quarterback, and that was as good as they could get. New York had 138. Uh, Bill Parcells, he got the gator shower from Harry Carson as well as the ride of his life across the field. Super Bowl champs for the first time in 30 years. 1956. Phil Sims was born in 1955, so that just told you how long it had been since they had won. Well, after that year, the Giants, they had that, uh, yeah, they caught that same, same little thing that some Super Bowl teams will catch. Yeah, that uh, 
Super Bowl hangover. They had that hangover the next year. But it didn't help that it was a strike going on in 1987. And they had a sub-500 season. And they started off 0-5, and they couldn't get out of that hole. So you, you still got 11 more games to go because they weren't canceling games like they did in 82. You, we was playing all 16. So you had to win at least 10 of those games, and they couldn't do it. They finished sub-500. The next year in 88, they were 10-6, and six, um, but they missed the playoffs because of a loss in their regular season finale. And that was to the cross-rival, cross-town rival New York Jets. 89, they were 12-4. They won the NFC East, but they got upset in the playoffs in overtime by the LA Rams. If any Giants fans remember that game, that's the Jim Everett to Flipper Anderson. He catches the touchdown pass and he runs on through the uh, the tunnel, just like Derek Fisher did against the San Antonio Spurs. But at the end of the 80s, though, it saw the Giants division rival Washington win it all in 87. And then the 49ers continue as that established dynasty of the decade. They won back-to-back championships in 88 and 89. 1990, San Fran will go for their third in a row. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Nineteen ninety, where do I begin? So many storylines. I guess you can start with the fact that the nineties team began the season ten and zero. Then they lost three of their next four. The one that sticks out the most, losing seventeen to thirteen at home against the Buffalo Bills. The Giants lost more than a game that day. They lost Phil Sims to a broken foot to the season. I mean, for the rest of the season. Crazy thing is that Sims and the Giants, they committed, I think it was only, in one place I read it was 14 turnovers. Somebody else had wrote 15. I think it was more official, 14 turnovers. I mean, that's that's a, that's a pretty good to just have 14 turnovers for the whole season. And he was on his way to his best statistical year in his career. I mean, at the point that he got hurt, he only had four interceptions compared to 15 touchdowns. Remember, they were run first team. But that's pretty good. 14 games in, and who was up at quarterback? Who was next up? Well, Jeff Hostiller, the fourth rounder out of West Virginia back in 84. But let's back up a little bit. What happened since that 86 season and even before? Hostiller had been frustrated already because he wasn't getting any reps and he was barely playing. But what do you expect when Phil Sims is the established starting quarterback? And he got desperate to get on the field. He played some special teams doing games and in practice, because he wasn't getting any quarterback reps, he went to play wide receiver on the scout team. He wanted to get on the field. He just wanted to play football. I understand that, but you know he was a quarterback, and I'm sure he wanted to play quarterback. Linebacker Carl Banks, who also came in in 84, his career was going swimmingly. 84, he was, uh, I mean, he was a solid starter by 86 on that team and was a pro bowler by 1987. And the 86 draft had brought in some more future starters for the Giants. Defensive lineman Eric Dorsey and Eric Howard. Linebacker Pepper Johnson. Defensive back Mark Collins. 
And there was also a trade during that season. Well, the man selected behind Phil Sims in that 79 draft, O.J. Anderson, they brought him over via trade after he had been a two-time All-Pro and was a consummate Pro Bowler and you know a really great running back for a really bad St. Louis Cardinals team. He was brought over via trade, and I think, matter of fact, his college teammate Jim Burt would talk to him during games saying, hey, you bet you wish you was on this team. And keep in mind that that was the alignment back then in the NFC East. It was the Cardinals, the Giants, the Cowboys, and Washington. That's who was in the NFC East back then. So, you know, that made things a lot more interesting. Now, Anderson um, and Hosteller, they were, you know, on different different sides of the uh, – they were, they were backups. They were backups. But even that Super Bowl 21 turned out very differently for them both. Hosteller was in the stands. He didn't get to dress. He didn't get to dress. So, uh, and then Anderson, he actually did get to dress, and he actually scored the final touchdown in mop-up duty. He said, hey, look, you know, go in there. We got a goal line play. Go in there and, and uh, you know, uh, thanks for, what did he say? Uh, thanks for being a giant. That's what Parcells was telling him on the sideline. It was almost like that was your last game or something like that. But both of these guys, Hosteller and Anderson, would be the men that was saved that 1990 season for the Giants. Now, by then, Anderson, if you go back to the, the, the end of the 80s, Anderson had taken over the starting role for Joe Morris, who had broke his foot. He missed the entire 89 season. And Otis was the comeback player of the year that year. 1,023 yards, and he ran for 14 touchdowns. They were a running team. And by 1990, there were several key players that were no longer around. They were, they were aged, and it was time. Harry Carson, George Martin, left tackle Brad Benson, they were among some of the others that actually had retired, even though it wasn't exactly rosy. Joe Morris would also be gone, not exactly by choice. Otis Anderson was 32 years old by this point. He had been retained, and even his starting position was gone. He, at least that's what he thought, as the Giants had selected Rodney Hampton, running back out of Georgia in the first round. You know what that means. They're trying to get young. But those two backs, they ended up splitting time. And if you look at the, st the stats for 1990, OJ actually still had more carries and started more games, but that didn't exactly mean that he was the man going forward because towards the end of the season, Rodney Hampton had taken over more of a starting role. And it, not to forget, you had the Swiss Army Knife and David Meggett. That was the change of pace back. Hostetler had to finish the season after Sims' injury, two and a half games. He played those last two and a half, two and a half games. And New York finished 13-3 heading into the playoffs. Okay, very good record. But you have a backup running back eventually because Hampton breaks his leg and OJ is the man now. They're still thinking that he's too old. Then you got your Super Bowl MVP that's not playing. He's on crutches with a broken foot. And you have a backup quarterback. Hmm. So uh, the, the Giants were actually favored in this first playoff game against the Bears, in which they, they put the Bears to sleep 31-3 before they played the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco in the NFC Championship game. Now that 3P came to an end that day in San Fran. 
Leonard Marshall basically ended the 49ers reign on a sack of Joe Montana. It was early in the fourth quarter, breaking his finger and bruising his sternum. San Francisco, they was clinging to a 13-12 lead, only to have to run out the clock. That's all Steve Young and that offense had to do. He hands off to Roger Craig, all pro, uh, pro bowl defensive tackle Eric Howard. Howard forces of Roger Craig fumble. They recover. Matt Barr ends up kicking the game-winning field goal. The Giants go on to Super Bowl 25 in Tampa with a 15-13 win. Now, Parcells and the Giants, they were back in the Super Bowl again. Okay, yeah. But they were eight-point underdogs against San Francisco. And now, in the Super Bowl, they were six-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Bills, who they had to see again. Well, the Giants, they did take care of business, but they got a lot of help. The Buffalo Bills, they were one of the top offenses in the league. They had that K-gun offense uh, in the shotgun all the time. Some of the stuff that you're seeing right now, that kind of was derived. It was, it was like everything was being called at the line. They weren't huddling. It was a no-huddle type offense uh, a lot of times. And Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, all these guys were pro bowlers. They even had James Lofton, who had came over from the, uh, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the great defense led by... Uh, Bruce Smith had 19 sacks that season. They had a punishing defense, so that it was a reason why that they were favored in that game. Well, the Giants, they punished Reed and Kelly. They allowed short passes. Kelly never had a touchdown pass in that game. And one thing that Bill Belichick was willing to allow in his game plan was Thurman Thomas running the football. Now, Thomas only had 15 carries in that game, but he ran for 135 yards including the 31-yard touchdown that put the Bills up late uh, before the Giants came back and kicked the field goal of their own. Um, and he would have been the MVP had the Bills won the game. Belichick's game plan is actually in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, by the way. They employed as, as many as six defensive backs, like a dime uh, defense, and then as few as two defensive linemen. So that's what they did to keep this offense pretty much in check for the most part but it was susceptible to the run it bend but don't break okay hostile on the other hand he had been steady throughout the playoffs and if you look at his playoff numbers he was for his career he was four and one seven touchdowns never threw an interception but he did his thing in this super bowl championship game uh he stayed away from the turnovers obviously and at one point the bills led 12 to 3 and they got those two points and it was a, probably the biggest player, one of the biggest players of the game, several big plays in that game. He held on to a ball while he was being sacked in the end zone by Smith. If he drops that ball and yet three other guys around that could have picked that ball up for a touchdown for the Bills defense, easy. If that been a touchdown, there's no telling how that game would have ended. Instead, it was just a safety, a five-point swing. Hostiller's arm, I mean, it picked up out of first downs. And the biggest one was actually a short pass to receiver Mark Ingram, who pretty much picked up the third down and three, 13, a third down and 13 all by himself. But on the other part, it was Otis Anderson. He carried the whole day. Anderson had a dream of being Super Bowl MVP in his home state of Florida. And he got it. He won it. 21 carries, 102 yards, and he had scored a touchdown on top of that. The Giants led 20-19 after Matt Barr's 21-yard field goal with, what, 7.20 left in the game? And the help the Giants got other than that, well, in his career, Bills kicker Scott Norwood was one for five on grass. Attempted field goals of 40 plus yards. He went across the bottom of the screen, the graphic. 
He went wide right with eight seconds left to go, and the Giants again were champions. Beautiful, beautiful for Giants fans. But then you have to deal with the aftermath. So those championships, that was it. You know, with those guys that started off in the 80s, you know, late 70s, early 80s, um, that was it. But there's an aftermath to all of this. So Joe Morris, who was, you know, the star running back, and by the time he was done with the Giants, he actually had held several postseason rushing records as well as some regular season rushing records. He was cut after the 1990 preseason. He tried to make a comeback after that foot injury. Um, he just didn't make the team. They drafted his replacement, plus they retained Otis Anderson, who had done pretty well in his stead. He missed the entire 90 season. He made another comeback. He started four games for the Cleveland Browns and Bill Belichick <laughs> uh, uh, before finally retiring. Otis Anderson was replaced in 1991 by Rodney Hampton. He retired after the 92 season, having rushed for over 10,000 yards in his career. Hampton, he turned out to actually be a really good running back. He posted five straight 1,000-yard seasons, and he was ultimately forced into retirement due to a knee injury in 1998. Mark Rivaro, the one-time All-Pro tight end, and he was a lot better than people would give him credit for. I just wish he had played longer. Super Bowl 25, that proved to be his last game in a Giants uniform. He had a knee condition that he struggled with throughout that season, and he was cut after the 91 offseason, well, during the 91 offseason. He came back, I think it was in 1992, and he played with Bill Belichick in the Cleveland Browns and finished his last two years with the Philadelphia Eagles and then he retired. Jim Burt, the inventor of the Gatorade shower, actually, not Harry Carson. Uh, Jim Burt, uh, he had back issues in 1988. Bill Parcells actually forced him into retirement. He, he did. And Jim Burt actually did just that. Uh, he was also left as an unprotected Plan B free agent, which meant you can sign with whoever you want to. But he announced his retirement uh, he didn't want to go, but he ended up saying, you know what, bump that, I'm going to play. And so Jim Burr signed with the 49ers and won the second ring with that 89 team. And during the 1990 <laughs> NFC Championship game, well, he was accused of trying to injure Jeff Hosteller because I think he had went into his knee during one of the plays. And, of course, that's uh, not long after that, that's when the Leonard Marshall hit happened uh, on Joe Montana. You got our quarterback, well, we're going to come after yours. That's what happened. Now, Harry Carson, again, I said it wasn't Rosie. He had announced the 1988 season would be his last. 13 years uh, he had played. And he saw that the team was in transition. You could see the replacements and the players that were being drafted, um, being brought in to replace you. Uh, they need to get younger. He, he understood that. And at one point during the season, he had arthroscopic knee surgery. And he said in the papers that he would miss a game at best. Well, Bill Parcells, nah, I don't think so. He put him on IR, and he ended up missing four of the last five games. Not a great way to go out, but Carson knew very well about the business of the NFL. He saw, you know, what happened, um, and you saw that. You saw that with Carson, Joe Morris, Jim Burt. You saw that. And between Parcells uh, and George Young, they had to keep the team going. It is a business, and our jobs depend on your performance. And if your performance doesn't get the job done, well, we got to move on to the next man. You know, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you contributed to a championship. Yes, 
turning around the team? Yes. But it's nothing personal. It's just business. Uh, another one of those business decisions was Carl Banks. After nine years with New York, he thought that he would eventually retire with them. Um, when it came down to money, the Giants allowed him to sign wherever he wanted to. He signed with the Washington football team. Uh, I think it was for one year, and then he finished his last two seasons with guess who? Yeah, Bill Belichick and the Browns. Boy, he was trying to he was trying to tear, turn uh, the Browns into the Giants, but uh, he knew who good players were and guys that would do what he asked. So I, I would have done that too. I mean, they had an 11 and five season. I think it was in 1994. Yeah, I think it was in 1994. But after after those stints with the Browns. Banks, he retired and, you know, he earned a broadcasting degree out of Michigan State. And you can hear him to this day on WFAN in New York. Jeff Hostiller, he actually won the quarterback ballot in 1991. Twelve games in, though, in the same stadium in which he led the Giants to the Super Bowl 25 victory, Tampa Stadium, he broke a bone in his back against the Buccaneers. His season was over. 1992. He opened up as the backup again. He was back in a familiar place. That was at least until week four when Sims suffered an elbow injury. And with Hostelier quarterback, they won five of the total six games the Giants would have for the entire season. They were six and 10 during that year. Ray Hanley, the man who replaced Bill Parcells, the former running back coach, he was then fired after that season was over with. 93, he was replaced by former Broncos head coach Dan Reeves in 1993. Now, Hostiller, his contract wasn't renewed. He ends up signing with the LA Raiders and he actually started there for four seasons and he made his only Pro Bowl in 1994. He would retire after the 97 season with Washington. Of course, Phil Sims played his final season in 1993. He made the Pro Bowl for the final time. He helped guide the Giants to the playoffs along with Dan Reeves. And he retired at the age of 38, having started all 16 games. He made it through all of them. LT, his final year would also be 1993. 92, he had missed the final seven games because of a ruptured Achilles tendon. And this is after only missing four games in his entire 12-year career. I mean, what are you going to do? But after beating the Minnesota Vikings in a wild card round in 93, they lost to the San Francisco 49ers. It was a beatdown, 40-43. And Taylor, who was crying on the sideline, would announce his retirement after the game. Now, this is a little bit of a snippet of notes from uh, a show that I did a while back. Now, George Young, he retired himself in 1998 and joined Commissioner Paul Tagliabue in the NFL front office as director of football operations. Now, according to Michael Eisen of Giants.com, Young was named NFL Executive of the Year five times in his career, okay? And if you look at what he was able to do, the guys that he had an eye for in drafting, he drafted the top three rushers in Giants history, Tiki Barber, Rodney Hampton, and Joe Morris, the most productive receiver, Amani Toomer, and the players that ranked one through three in career sacks, Michael Strahan, Lawrence Taylor, and Leonard Marshall. Uh, three of the other members of the Ring of Honor were also drafted by Young, and that's Mark Bavaro, Carl Banks, and Jesse Armstead. Now, 11 months after the Giants appeared in Super Bowl 35, Young had passed away 
from a rare neurological disorder, December 8th, 2001. Again, in 19 years as general manager for the New York Giants, his teams made the playoffs eight times and he won two Super Bowls. He was elected posthumously into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2020. Now, they also had a pretty good receivers coach, Tom Coughlin. He ended up leaving that job in 1990 and 91. He was coach for the Boston uh, College Eagles, the BC Eagles. He also coached the Jags, the Jacksonville Jaguars for eight years, being the new expansion team that they were. And they even reached the AFC Championship in 1999. 2004, uh, he was the head coach of the New York Giants, took them all the way through to two Super Bowl championships. Of course, we all know about Bill Belichick. He left the Giants to become head coach of the Browns. Got them to the playoffs the one time. And ultimately, we know how that worked out. Eventually, he became head coach of the New England Patriots and has instilled his coaching to this day, established himself as perhaps the greatest coach of all time. Some people say yay, some people say nay. I think you're crazy. Six rings and nine appearances, that's pretty good. And Bill Parcells, the Giants won their first championship with great defense and a quarterback full of confidence. That was on full display. They won a second Super Bowl with a backup quarterback, a 34-year-old running back, still great D. Ultimately, he left the Giants during the 91 offseason. George Young thought he had just quit, though. Truth be told, uh, he didn't have a contract that was renewed yet. The guy won two Super Bowls. Let's go. Pay the man. But, you know, okay. Then it also didn't help that the nephew, Tim Mara, had sold 50% of his shares in the Giants, so he was out of the picture. And that's one of the few guys that he actually trusted in the organization. Again, I said there was a backstory. And I'll just give you a snippet of it. You know, Giants fans and historians should already know that the Howard Schnellenberger fiasco, Parcells found out he, they went behind his back. I'll just leave it at that. And so he, their relationship wasn't exactly the best. So, but here's the thing. He had a heart condition that had developed. And it was time for him to step down. He did just that. On May 15, 1991. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, of course, you know, class of 13. He came back to coaching, leading the Patriots to the Super Bowl in 1996. He got the New York Jets to the AFC Championship game in 1998. He turned the Cowboys around with Jerry Jones, and, and he finally retired in 2006. LT, he made uh, <laughs> the Hall of Fame in 1999. Harry Carson, he was inducted in 2006. And this is after he said he didn't want to be on the ballot. He thought that it was crazy that writers and stuff were the ones that were voting on it. Um, but they were the only on-field players in the Pro Football Hall of Fame to this point from that era, from that era. Owners, and you know, you got Wellington Mara that's in there. Um, GM George Young. They're the front office people that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And there were a lot of business decisions made during Bill Parcells and George Young's time with the Giants. They turned over a roster in 1984. They got rid of players that didn't have winning on their minds. They also made timely decisions personnel-wise. You know, they placed, you know, veterans, you know, even when they didn't want to go, we had to replace you, okay? And also challenging guys that were there. There were times when Sims was pulled out of the starting lineup and they put in and Parcells was testing the guy. He was testing Jeff Hosteller doing some of the parts of seasons. And hey, would you be ready if I have to put you in at the drop of a hat? And he had to show that. He had a way of doing this. Even though people did not agree with him, they he didn't have the best relationship with all of his players. He did not. We all know that. 
But that's what he did. It makes me wonder, though, where Bill Belichick got all of this from. Hmm. There wasn't a franchise. Uh, th this Giants franchise was not loaded with Hall of Famers like the Steelers, the 49ers, the Packers, or the Cowboys. The Giants, they weren't a great dynasty, but they got it done as a team. And Parcells was the key. Kind of reminds me of the 2000 Patriots. That's it. References. Thanks to ProFootballReference.com, ProFootballHallOfFame.com, The New York Times. Burt, unhappy but motivated, has bitter words for Parcells. This was an article from November 25th, 1989 by Frank Nitsky. LA Times, starting over, Giants Morris, Joe Morris, has a lot to prove. This article by George Willis, dated July 1st, 1990. TheSportsNotebook.com, I like this website. The 1985 New York Giants, the Bill Parcells rise continues. And also the 1990 New York Giants, Back-to-back -back playoff shockers produce a championship. Both of these articles written by Dan Flaherty, NFL history articles, sports history articles. Also, the Washington Post, Redskins Get Banks by Ken Denlinger, dated June 15, 1993. Also, UPI Giants Wave Rushing Leader Morris by Dave Raffo, this UPI sports writer. This was dated September 3, 1990. Also, Giants.com. George Young enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, May 1st, 2021. That was written by Michael Eisen. Also, America's Game. We're talking videos, people. The Super Bowl, the story of the 1986 Giants, and also the 1990 New York Giants. The book, America's Game, the NFL at 100, co-written by, yeah, y'all know, my favorite book, Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams. The Sporting News Complete Super Bowl Book 1993 Edition. You got three editors, Tom Diner, Joe Hopple, and Dave Sloan. And my new book, this book is good. Woo, it really is. Guts and Genius. This one written by Bob Glauber. That's it. The Behind the Mic Podcast. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Bellio Sports. Bellio Sports Podcast Network. BellioSports.com. Spreaker. Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, whatever you choose, however you choose to consume the Belly of Sports family. Tell all your friends about this show or I'll find your house. I'm out. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.